two very good friends of mine, uh, Morris and Pat St. Angelo from Slidell, Louisiana, are here. Uh, Pat pastors a church in Slidell, Louisiana. And Tiffany, you probably know Tiffany and Zimmy Lobo. Tiffany is, is uh, Morris's daughter, and they were visiting for Thanksgiving. And um, I go there every now and then. Like We used to go once a year to, yeah, to teach. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> But I love going... I love going to his church and preaching. I can't wait to go back because the, the group there is awesome. They're just, they just soak it in. It's awesome. Anyway, he's got an a Internet uh, website, and he wants to do a video and put it on his website for his church and for the, anybody who wants to access it. But um, uh, also the, the saints at Slidell suggested do this so you know, they could say hi and whatever. So we're going to say hi to the saints in Slidell this morning but it's just it's just a neat group and morris and pat pat's coming in a second but pat and morris have been pastoring that church for 10 years and just just faithfully teaching the finished work of christ and helping people see the grace of god and it's been it's it's just a pleasure to go there something happens when i go there it's like i just feel such a freedom because he he just tells me just don't hold back just let loose which I do here too, like but normal, like I normally do. Here, I can preach here and there. Total freedom. Two favorite places to preach is here and there. Because sometimes you go to a, a place where you feel like, should I say this? <laughs> are they ready to hear this? No. You are really free. <laughs> cool. And I, I've given some thought actually, because knowing, knowing that Mars was going to tape it this morning, um, we had Thanksgiving dinner with them, and we were talking about it. And um, so I had put some thought to it. What, what what I should share, you know, this since it is going to go on his website and so forth. And what I thought about sharing is what I would share if if uh, if I was speaking to a group of young pastors or or ministers about to get into the ministry, or what would I say to a group of, of ministers, not necessarily young, but those who wanted to be involved in ministry, they felt the call of God, that God's, um, and when I say ministry, I mean, we're all in the ministry. We are all ministers. But um, what would I say to a group that really feel that God has really called them to do something um, for the gospel and so forth? What would I say to them? So I want to share what I would say um, briefly. And so I'm going to cover a lot of ground fast. Um, some of the things I'll say are really like three-part series statements that you should take tapes and CDs to expand on. But I just want to share a few thoughts and hopefully be a blessing to all of us here and and those who might tune in. You guys had a good Thanksgiving? Cool. Yeah, we did too. Awesome. Lord, thank you so much for your life. Thank you for your peace. The mindset on the spirit is life and peace. The mindset on the things of the spirit are life and peace. Lord, thank you that we are in you and you are in us. Thank you, Lord, that where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. 
that we can come boldly to a throne of grace to find help and mercy in time of need. That we need not fear the presence of God. For God himself has said, in this new covenant, I will remember your sins no more. I will be merciful to all your iniquities. For my son, who was without sin, became sin, became our sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Thank you, Father. The value you place, the great value you place on the death of your son cannot be estimated. Behold the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world that we might be in union with you, Lord. You in us and we in you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Amen. Amen. You know, well, let me just start out here. What I would say initially to a group of of, uh, young pastors or pastors or ministers or whatever... um, what I would encourage, number one, it's unusually loud this morning, isn't it? Oh, uh, okay. That's all right. It's just unusually, it's never been. That's all right. That's all right. That's cool. The uh, first thing I would share is that. Um, you know, I was a believer for like 10 years, from 1976 until 1986, became a believer in 76, 86, and um, I think one of the biggest problems in, um, but not problems, but things that people need to, to realize is that for 10 years, I thought I knew, I assumed I knew, knew what? That I knew the new covenant, that I knew God, that I knew his ways, that I knew, I mean, 10 years, 10 years as a believer, you would think I've been to a lot of churches, read a lot of books, taught a lot of Bible studies, um, you know, been on mission trips. I mean, 10 years, you know, so I kind of assumed that I knew and I reached burnout as a young believer after 10 years realizing I can't, I just can't seem to, to do this. I can't live for God. I can't do enough. I just felt this sense of guilt, this hazy sense of not ever doing enough. Even when I did everything right, it seemed like it wasn't good enough. And, and I, I, it started to really just work on me, like feel like, you know, what's the use? I mean, I feel like I'm just not able to really, where's the joy I had when I, when I was a, a new believer and, and, um, you know, I was thinking maybe the battery runs out on the Christian life in 10 years or something. You know, I don't know what's going on. But what changed in my life is that um, God, I got, I got to that place of, of uh, quiet desperation, if you want to say it that way. I got to a place of, of, uh, of real uh, searching, you know, why, you know, why, where, where, what happened to the joy. Um, and I had no idea because I thought I knew. And what happened that changed my life as a believer after 10 years of, of, 
of being a Christian um, is I, I, I said, actually said, um, I don't know. I don't know. Something's wrong. I don't know. I'm missing something big. And then uh, the Lord began to show me that uh, the, the verse that really began to open the whole thing up to me, I think, is the verse that says, Jeremiah 33, 3, it says, Call unto me, and I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things that you know not. And I prayed that prayer. I, I, I said, Lord, I, I call unto you. You've promised to answer me and show me great and mighty things that I don't know. I'm a, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian for 10 years, but I don't know. Jesus said, it's a key to revelation, receiving revelation. It's a key. If you said you see, then you shall remain blind, Jesus said. But if you say you are blind, you shall see. It's a posture that we should always be in. We should, it's not something you, you ever leave, really. Because as Paul says, if a man thinks he knows anything, he doesn't know anything like he ought to know it. I like that. Paul says, if a man thinks he knows anything, he doesn't know anything like he ought to know it. Because the unsearchable riches in Christ are unsearchable. So that changed my life. I I took a posture of, I don't know. Teach me, Lord, teach me. I am burning out here. I can't live this life. Now, I think that's the crossroads where a lot of people come to. And some people don't say, I don't know. Some people say, I know, doggone it. And I'm just going to grip my teeth and make it happen. And then they end up either very religious, uh, maybe judgmental Pharisees, or they just leave the church altogether because they can't do it. And they burn out and they leave. And they say, well, I guess it wasn't for me. But the other fork of that road is when you say, you know, I don't know. I don't want to grip my teeth and try to make it happen. I don't want to play the game, the religious game. I don't want to put the mask on and go to church and try to be what everybody says I'm supposed to be. I don't, I don't know, and I want to know. And sometimes the reason people choose that fork that says, I'm going to grit it out, I'm going to stay here, is because they're seeking to please men more than God. They have maybe some vested interest in the religious system. Maybe they have a job as a pastor. Maybe they have a... Uh, position on the worship team. Maybe they have some kind of a book out there and they can't change what they wrote in the book. They're getting royalties from it, you know, or maybe they, you know, I don't know. There's all kinds of reasons people decide not to change. But if you seek to serve Christ and not men, Paul says in Galatians, he who would seek to be the servant of men cannot be the servant of Christ. So that's another key to receiving revelation. First, being willing to say, I don't know. And that's just the humility of saying, I don't know. And when you really think about it, that it's, it's the smartest, the smartest thing you can ever say is, I don't know. Even as a believer, like I was after 10 years. And the second key to revelation, receiving revelation from God is really having a desire for truth no matter where it takes you. You don't care what it ta- where it takes you, where, what men think about it. If men praise me, that's Great. If they curse me, that's great. It doesn't matter. I just want the truth. I just want the truth. A person like that, God will open the storehouse of heaven to. A person who says, I don't know, Lord, teach me. And I don't care what man thinks. I don't care what man thinks and I don't care where it takes me. I don't care if it, if it means I get put out of the synagogue. 
so to speak, because that's what happened to the early disciples. When they began to talk about this Jesus, they, be, they were put out of the synagogue. And the scripture says that some of them denied what Jesus, who he was and what he was saying, because they did not want to be put out of the synagogue for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. And that's rampant in the church where, where God is trying to reveal things to, to saints He's trying to open the, the minds of saints by the Spirit of God. And because they have vested interest in the system, they don't want to listen. So I would say to these young pastors or whatever this group might be, I would say, first of all, have that attitude, have that mind that you don't know, that there's much to learn, much to see in him. And seek to serve Christ and not men. Because it's all by revelation. The key to the Christian life is seeing, not doing. And that's one of the things he showed me. The the key to the Christian life is seeing, not doing. And how can we see that which is invisible? You see, the scripture says, who can know the thoughts of God? But only the spirit of God. Only the Spirit knows the thoughts of God. Only the Spirit can reveal to us the thoughts of God and who God is and what he thinks. So how can we see the invisible but only by the Spirit of God? So when you have that posture of humility in in a sense of I don't know, and you have the, uh, the heart that says, I want to serve Christ and not man, then you lean not... Because of that posture you have, and you lean not to your own understanding, but you lean to God and you say, Lord, teach me by your spirit. Because you cannot, we cannot see these things but by the spirit of God. Who can know these things but the spirit of God, the scripture says. And the scripture says the spirit of God has been given to us that we might know these things that are freely given to us in Christ. So, a mark of, of a true minister of the, of the life of Christ is a, a person who is really de- dependent on the spirit. Not just in the reasoning of the mind, because a lot of um, uh, young pastors or ministers put a lot of emphasis on the intellect, on the study of books and reading of the scriptures and, and crafting from their, in their own minds what the scripture is saying. And the scripture says that it's not, not many wise get this. Not many noble get it. God has chosen the foolish to confound the wise. He's chosen the weak to confound the strong. One must become as a little child, Jesus said, or you cannot see this, cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So, God's ways are not our ways. So what happens when man puts reason above revelation? You miss it. For God has made the wisdom of this world void and vanity. For God says, through the wisdom, through wisdom, the world did not come to know me. Therefore, I chose a way that the only way the world can come to know me is through humility and being taught by me. You see it? That's why he said you must, must become as a child. Because the, no man can figure God out by just reading the Bible. 
it's not the word, the word, the word, the word, the word, and me working on the word and figuring out the word and studying the word. And it's not, it's not that. Jesus said this to the Pharisees. He said, you search these scriptures, the word, and you think in these scriptures you have life. You think in the Bible you have life. You think in your Bible you have life. That's what Jesus said. But the Bible, the scriptures speak of me. And you will not come to me that you might have life. You see? And the Spirit, only the Spirit, can show us that all the Scripture speaks of Him. And that's what the Scripture teaches. That He is, in, on every page, the revelation of the Christ because of what God did in Christ. It's not the way man thinks. It's not the way the natural man thinks. It's totally a different way of thinking. His ways are different from our ways as as. High as the heavens are above the earth, the scripture says. So I would say this. I would say these kind of things to a group that's wanting to serve God and, and, uh, and to pursue the things of God. I would say this first. Start here because if you don't start here, then, you know, good luck. See you in 10 years. You'll either be off, you know, burned out or you'll have some doctrine that your mind has put together that you think is just so cool. And God is going, what is that? You know, where's my son in all that? Where's my son's death in all that? Where's my son? Where's the new creation in your theology? Where's the new heart in your theology? See? Missed it by a mile. Missed it by a mile. Because it's revelation. Yes. I got a question. I hope it's okay. Yeah, it's fine. Cool. You say it's by revelation, so how do you know the revelation is right? Okay, that's a good question. The revelation is right when, two things, when it lines up with the word. So you have to know the word to have it line up. That's, that's exactly right. What I don't want to say, what I don't want to imply is that you don't use the Bible, you don't study the Bible, because Jesus didn't say that either. And didn't mean that. He quoted the scripture all the time. And anybody who knows me, you know, every word is a scripture. Almost. Not all, not all the time. But, you know, I mean, so I'm not saying you don't read the Bible, you don't study the scripture. But the reason why I speak in sentences are all scriptures almost all the time is because in studying the scripture by the Spirit, the Spirit opens the scriptures and reveals so just as when Jesus opened their understanding, the scripture says, the last chapter of Luke, the scripture says Jesus opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. So you have to have the mind opened up to understand the scriptures. So that's, I'm glad you brought that up, up brother, because it's, I don't want to Im- imply that you don't, you don't need the Bible. I mean, it's the, I live in the scriptures. You know, you know me. But it's not just... The letter that kills, it's the spirit that gives life. And it's the spirit that reveals Christ in the scriptures. And so now the scriptures, I love the scriptures because I see him. And I see the ways of God hidden there. And it's awesome. It's awesome. So yes, so the way you know you've got the right message is, Paul says, 
I mean, Peter says that no prophecy is of, is of any private interpretation. No, no prophetic word is of any private interpretation. You can't have your idea of what the Spirit is saying and your idea of what the Spirit is saying. Peter says, no, every interpretation must come back to Christ. And he said that in the context of when the Father spoke from heaven and he said, this is my son, hear him. So in the context there, Peter was saying that um, the Spirit will reveal Christ in the Scriptures and His work. As Revelation says, the Spirit of all prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. See? So our Spirit bears witness with the Holy Spirit, which bears witness with the Scripture, and it all comes together, and it's all about Christ. Isn't that awesome? We can know, in other words. We can know. God wants us to know, and we can know. If we will ask, he will teach us. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things that you know not. The second thing I would talk to this group about would be, I would say, get the why correct. Get the why right. Why did God do all this? Why? Why? Because if you get the why wrong, then you, you really, you're off. God did all this. And in a minute, we're just briefly going to say what he did. But he did all this because he simply is so in love with you that he just wants to be with you forever. Forever. God wants to be with you forever. It's a bridegroom and a bride. The eternal purpose of God is a man saying to a woman, I just want to be with you the rest of my life. Warts and all. I love you for you. I want to be with you. I want you to be with me forever. Forever. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And this is the heart of it all, he said. That where I am, where I am, you may be also. The thief on the cross said, Lord, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, remember me. I can't do one good thing. I can't get baptized. I can't do anything. All I know is that I deserve judgment, but you're doing something here so awesome. I can't even understand it, but I know you're a king. I know you don't deserve this. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus pushed up on his feet to speak so he could breathe. And he said, truly, truly, I say to you. This day, you will be with me. The one thing that matters, the one heart of God, the one eternal purpose, you'll be with me. You'll be with me. You'll be with me. You lose this, why, the eternal purpose of what God did, and you'll end up teaching people that God Save them to work for him. 
you'll teach people that God saved people so that he could make them into his image, that we might be conformed to the image of Christ. That's all. That's the main thing, that God wants to conform you to the image of Christ. Didn't have much time to work on that thief, did he? He was just as happy to be with that thief than he was with the believer who worked with, walked with him for 50 years. What husband, what husband says, I'll love my wife only if I can mold her into an image? You see? You see the heart of God, saints? You see the heart of God? The eternal purpose of God? What was, what's the, what's the, what's the, what's the final revelation in the book of, of Revelation? The final unfolding of the heart of God? What do you see? Do you see a trophy? Look. Like by trophy, I made him or her into my image. Do you see a hard worker with, look, all the work he did for me. Look at the treasures. Look at all the fruit he bore. What you see, come, come, I will show you the lamb's wife. I'll show you a bride. Who comes down from heaven. Now seated with him. Now being manifested. Having the glory of God. He loves her so. Come. Look at his wife. Behold the bride. And the spirit and the bride say come. Got to get the why right. It's the passion of everything you speak. It fills every word you speak when you get the why right. Otherwise, it's it's dead. God said to Israel, the day is going to come when you'll no longer call me Lord, Lord, Lord. Of course, he's still Lord, and we call him Lord. I'm not saying that, but this is the prophet speaking about making a point. And the prophet is saying, the day will come when Israel will no longer call me Lord, but call me Ishi. Call me husband. Call me husband. Something will change. I no longer call you servants, Jesus said. Friends. Bride. Husband, wife. For he gave himself for her. And she is washed with the washing of the word of that revelation that he gave himself for her. Becoming sin for her that she would be the righteousness of God in him. And now without spot, without wrinkle or any such thing, he has joined himself to her and the two have become one. He is where she is. She is where he is. His heart is satisfied. Oh, if she only knew. Oh, you little one tossed to and fro by everything. If you only knew that my only heart is to be where you are and for you to be where I am, that you might behold my glory. And that I might behold your glory. For I have made you in my image. And I have called you my bride.
For you shall sit with me on my throne, Revelation says. It's awesome. The heart of God. We got to get the why right. And then the next thing I would say to this group, I would say, how did God do this? Get the how right. How did he do it? How did he do it? How did he do it? How did he, how did he do it? And, and, and what exactly did he do? And this is what I would say very succinctly. I would just say, teach the people that he took away their sin. Completely. Saying nothing more than what John the Baptist said. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And tell the people that he raised a new creation. Tell the people that there's another Adam. The last Adam. The first Adam was a living soul. But the last Adam is a life-giving spirit. The first Adam was from the earth. The last Adam is from heaven. Tell them there's a whole new race of people on earth now. For those who are born from above. Become a part of this new race. No longer from below, but from above. Tell the people they have a new heart. In him they have a new heart. Tell the people it's not a matter of doing, it's a matter of where you are. Are you in him? Is he in you? There's no rules now that matter except this rule, Paul says, and that is, are you a new creation? That's the rule, he says. You want a rule, he says, in Galatians? I'll give you a rule. Become a new creation. Mercy and peace be upon the ones who follow that rule. Tell the people that they are as holy as God is holy. Tell the people they are as righteous as God is righteous because of what he did. Tell the people that he so loves us that we can go boldly into his presence without fear. Tell the people that they're not under law, not even under moral law. Paul did not divide the old covenant up and say that he just fulfilled the ritual law, but the moral law we're still under. No. The Corinthian letter is very clear that the letters engraved on stone, the Ten Commandments, the moral law are the letters of death. You're not under the moral law. You are are actually in life. You're not under law. You're in life. His life. Anytime you say you're under any law, whether it's thou shalt not commit adultery or thou shalt not kill, anytime you say you're under any law, there is a consequence to not obeying that law. And if you do, if you believe that, you do not have a new covenant. Where there is no law, sin is not imputed, Paul says. But if you're under law, sin is imputed. And the natural mind doesn't get this because the first thing the natural mind thinks, because they think the way to, to modify behavior is to put somebody under law, the first thing the natural mind thinks is, oh, you, you just believe that we can live any way we want to live. That's the first thing that comes to thoughts of the natural mind. Because the natural mind has connected behavior modification with being under law. 
So when I say boldly and Paul says boldly, you're not under the Ten Commandments, you're not under any law whatsoever, the first thing the natural mind thinks is, well, you must think we can live any way we want to live. In fact, that's exactly what they said to Paul. They said, well, Paul, it sounds to us like you're saying, let's just go sin that grace may abound. In fact, if they're not saying that to you as a minister, as a teacher of the scripture, you're not teaching Christ. You're not teaching the truth. If they don't, if some people don't respond like that, you're not teaching the truth. The secret is the life that we're in bears a certain kind of fruit. It will bear after its own kind. The life. Life bears fruit after its own kind. Like we said the other day, how an orange tree, you don't tell an orange tree it's got an obligation to bear oranges. You don't tell an orange tree that you've, you've got a responsibility to bear oranges. I, I just want you to know, don't get too free over there with your oranginess. I smell those blossoms. You think you're, you think you're all free with these blossoms and all this, but you, just remember you've got an obligation to bear oranges. I better see these flowers going in a few weeks because you have an obligation to bear oranges. None of this lovey-dovey stuff. I mean, flowers are nice, but I want to see fruit. That's how we think. And if that orange tree could talk, the orange tree would be going like, what? I'm just being who I am. At this time of year, the flower comes forth. I'm just being who I am. I, I don't know anything about responsibility to bear oranges or obligation to bear oranges. I just bear oranges because that's what I am. I'm an orange tree. Release the Christian to be who they are. But you can't do that if you don't know who they are. You can't preach that if you don't know the truth of the new creation and the new heart. So I would tell that group, quit telling believers they have an evil heart. Quit telling believers to look for sin in their heart. Quit telling believers to confess every single sin so they can stay right with God. Quit telling believers that they have to keep short accounts with God. Make sure that as they confess every single sin, that that sin somehow gets put under the blood so God will stay in fellowship with them. Stop doing that. It's not the truth. It's a lie. And it is stopping the simplicity of God's glory from coming forth. Stop teaching them a sin-conscious gospel and see the truth and preach a Christ-conscious gospel. I would tell them that. And no flesh can glory in His presence when we do it His way. You just say, I don't know how. I just know I love Him. I just know He's in me. I just know I'm in Him. And I, I just know that my mind's being renewed to how good God is. And I'm being renewed to how new I am in Him. And I just find myself loving people. I don't know why. And I just forgave this person I could never forgive. I don't know how, why. I just have, I don't know. Something's in me wants to forgive. I don't know. I have more patience than I used to have. I don't know why. That no flesh can glory in His presence. And the fruit of the Spirit comes forth in a rest. I don't know why I have joy. I don't know. I just, I don't know. Well, you, you must have been doing something right. I mean, you know, God's blessing you. What's, what's, what are you doing right? I don't know. I just know Him. I just know, I just know that He loves me. I just know that I can't get over the fact that I'm one with him. 
I can't get over the fact that he's wherever I am and I'm wherever he is. I mean, like, I'm actually seated with him now. I mean, he's walking with me now. I mean, this is like, I can't get over this. Joy unspeakable, full of glory. I would tell him that. I would tell him the way you walk this life out is is a place of complete dependency. I would tell him that it's a matter of boasting and weaknesses. You know, we have weaknesses. We have weaknesses. We have, we have the power of sin that is still in the flesh. Paul had a thorn in his flesh. He yearned for God to set him free from that thorn and God allowed it to stay. My grace is sufficient for you, he said. When we're weak, he is strong in us. He allows need, trials and things so we'll depend on him and never fear he's with us we can now boast in our weaknesses and our need of him for where I am weak he is strong that the power of Christ might rest upon us so I would teach him how to walk it out I would say don't be afraid of your weaknesses don't be afraid of your sin in the flesh, the power of sin that's in the flesh. We all have the power of sin in the body, as we talked a couple of weeks ago. The power of sin is still in the body. That's why you can walk with God for 50 years and feel like, oh, good, I'm, I'm not, I'll never commit that sin that I used to commit years ago. And all of a sudden, 50 years walking with God, you're doing the thing you did 50 years ago. And you're going like, Dang. And then you start thinking, the enemy really works on that. Like, maybe you weren't even saved. I mean, because, saints, the power of sin is in this body, the body is not going to be redeemed until he comes again. This flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom, and there's a power of sin that still is in this body. What happens is we get stronger and stronger as we grow in faith in the reality of the unseen so that the spirit of life puts to death the deeds of the body, the scripture says. That's why if you, we simply walk in the spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Because in the spirit, it's a different world. It's the world of grace and love and romance. It's, it's the world of the romance of God. It's the, it's the life of the new creation and the new heart. It's the life of another world. It's a different world. That's why the believers turned the world, this world, upside down. Because what they preached was a different world. And when we live in the spirit, we live in that world, his world. His world has come. His kingdom has come within. And we in him, we've been translated from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of his son, another world. And so that's why you, you don't get down on yourself when you stumble and fall. You don't have to confess all those sins to get back right with God. He never breaks fellowship with you. If sin breaks fellowship with God, 
then what was the basis of your fellowship with him in the first place? Your obedience? The basis for your fellowship with God, your oneness with God was never your obedience. It was the blood of Christ and your trust in that blood. And when we sin or we walk after the flesh, that doesn't change. That's the point of the new covenant. The point is, I will fix this thing, God says. I will fix it. I found fault with them. Therefore, I found fault with that covenant of law. Hebrews says, I found fault, and I don't want to find fault with my bride. I found fault. Therefore, I find fault with that covenant. I'll make a new covenant. In this new covenant, I cannot find fault with them again. I remember, I will not remember any of their sins. I'll remember their sins no more. I'll be merciful to all their iniquities because what I will do will be so awesome, so earth shattering, so life altering that I will cause all sin to be placed on my son in time and space. He tasted death for every man, for all time, for all sin, and he plummeted himself into the death of judgment for us. The judgment of the world, Jesus said. And he was raised by the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit. A new Adam, last Adam, come Adam, come son. This day have I begotten thee. Come forth a new race. I will bring many sons into glory. Come forth my son, my beloved, come. You see it? And we are in him. And he is in us. That's what I would tell this group. (laughs) I love that. I I saw the uh, one of the scenes in that uh, C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia. Prince Caspian, one of the scenes in that movie, Lucy sees Aslan, Aslan the lion, a picture of Christ, and, and Lucy sees him for first time after a while, and she says, you've gotten bigger. <laughs> Remember that scene? She goes, you've gotten, you've gotten bigger. And he goes, dear one, his voice, you know, dear one. He goes, dear one. As you grow and you see me as I am, I grow. It's not that he actually grows, but what he's saying there, C.S. Lewis is teaching that as we grow in our faith and vision of him, he just gets bigger and bigger till we see him as he is. When we were children, we believed he could keep us from the spider bite in the bedroom. When we were teenagers, we believed he could give us an A on a test and help us study. When we were young married couples, we believed he could help us make enough money to pay the rent. Dear one, if you only knew how big I am. I has not seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. But, the next verse, but the Spirit has been given 
might know these things. We don't read that next verse. We think, oh, that's just in heaven. One day we'll see what eye has not seen and ear has not heard. And No, the next verse says, but the Spirit has come that we might know what eye has not seen, what ear has not heard. That's what I would tell this group. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for helping us see. Oh, God, wonderful counselor. Your counsel is wonderful, full of wonder. How can these things be? May we never lose the wonder of a God who raises the dead and calls into being that which did not exist before, a new creation, sons and daughters of the living God. How can these things be? Because, dear one, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And with loving kindness, I have drawn you to myself. I have loved you with an everlasting love. And with loving kindness, I have drawn you to myself. To myself, be at peace. Be at peace. Amen.